Isaiah chapter 46, this is God's word, verse number 9. And we'll start in 8, actually. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we do ask that as your word goes forth that you would give to us listening ears, believing hearts, and understanding minds, that your spirit would empower and accompany your word, and that you would use me for your glory. I decrease now that you may increase. I become less so that you and you alone can become more. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In our first sermon in this series on the doctrines of grace, Brother Bobby introduced this series by considering the holiness of God. The holiness of God is one of the perfections of God that once again draws a definitive line between the creator and the creature. As we have said over and over again, God is other than his creation. God is all that he is perfectly, eternally intrinsically all together and all at once god is most holy most wise most loving and all things are for god's glory brothers and sisters as we have gone through months and and years of midweek services i pray that you carry with you all the things that you have learned on this on these midweek services carry them with you as we begin to worship the lord on our sunday evenings carry with you all the things that you have learned even most recently about the perfections of God and especially carry those things that you have learned in the series of the perfections of God carry them with you into the doctrines of of grace carry those doctrines with you those understandings with you into the doctrines of grace brothers and sisters if we abandon those biblical and timeless truths, those biblical and eternal truths about God, we will soon seek to exalt ourselves above God and become eventually offended by the doctrines of grace rather than giving glory to God because of the doctrines of grace. When we get a clearer picture of God, we will in turn get a clearer picture of ourselves these doctrines give to us the, the wonderful good news and the wonderful picture of how God saves these doctrines of grace. These precious doctrines give us these wonderful truths, even of our radical depravity because of our sin in Adam and our absolute inability to save ourselves because and from that sin. These doctrines of grace Show us that God's grace is truly grace. Salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned, nor can it be recompensed, nor can it be paid back. These doctrines of grace reveal to us that every person that the Lord Jesus Christ died for will be saved. The atonement of Christ was not a potential atonement. 
It was not a hypothetical atonement, but rather it was a definite atonement. The Lord Jesus Christ did not fail to save any for whom he intended to save or any whom he died for. These doctrines of grace show us that the Holy Spirit draws when he draws one of his elect to himself. They will come. Life is then given to that dead man. Dry bones are made alive. Lazarus rises from the tomb. Because when God says, let there be, it is so. When God says, let there be, it is so. No man comes to me, the Lord Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. These precious doctrines teach us that when God draws his elect, his children, he will preserve his children until they they are united with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, we persevere because we are being preserved by God. How and why do you still stand where you stand? Is it because you are strong? Is it because you are tough? Is it because you know something better or more than everyone else? Why do you still stand? Brothers and sisters, you stand because you are being enabled to stand. You stand because you are being enabled to stand. Why are we standing? Because God is enabling you to stand. Are we standing? Yes. How? By the preserving grace of God. It is God who makes you stand. It is God who gives strength to your legs. It is God who gives strength to your walk with him. These doctrines we hold dear. These doctrines place God in his proper place on the throne above all of his creation. He is sovereign ruler over all. And they place us, these doctrines, place us in our proper place. And what is that place? We are absolutely nothing without him. That without him, we would not stand. Last week, we considered part one of the sovereignty of God. As we have said, it would be very difficult to find a professing Christian who does not affirm the sovereignty of God. And yet, oftentimes, when confronted with the extent of God's sovereignty or the extent of God's rule and God's control, many will deny that God is absolutely And the word absolutely is important, absolutely sovereign over all things. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is confronting the false worship of idols and highlighting that he, God, is in a class all by himself. In verse 9, he says, I am God and there is no one like me. How is God unlike the false idols who are not gods, by the way? He tells us in verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. God has declared the end from the beginning. Things that have not yet occurred are known by God. How? Because God has decreed all things. God does not just know that things will occur. God has willed that those things will occur. And what are those things? Brothers and sisters. They are all things. God has willed and decreed all things that have transpired. All things that have happened are because God has willed them to happen. All things have taken place. And all things that will take place have been willed and decreed by God. Now, brothers and sisters, 
this can often be the place where many jump off of the sovereignty of God train. Why? Because of the pain and sorrow that this world has seen. Because of the, the hurt and the despair that this world is still yet to see. And what is the response of man? How can a loving God allow all of this pain and sorrow? How can a loving, good God be in control of all of this? Brothers and sisters, your answer to that person, your answers to that skeptic is this. Who are you, O oh man, to judge God? Who are you to point your sinful finger at God? Who are you to point your finger and blame God for all of the atrocities of humanity? And when man does so, when man does point his finger at God, they are once again exposing their own sinfulness, ignoring the fact that it is man who has rebelled against God. And it is man who has brought sin upon this world. Man has done that. Has God willed it? Has God decreed it? Yes, but man is the one responsible for it. Again, did God decree it? Yes. Is God sovereign over it? Yes. But we had better thank God. That we are not as bad as we could be because God is sovereign. There is restraint in this world. God is holding back the sinfulness of man because he is sovereign over all things. God says in verse 10, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God knows all things that are happening. He has ordained all of their happenings and he has purpose that they will ultimately do what? Bring him glory. That all things will bring him glory. And once again, a difficult thing for people to accept. And once again, another time where people jump off of the sovereignty of God's reign. Because in the midst of despair, in the midst of pain and suffering, we cannot see the glory of God through that. But read the book of Job and ask Job how it all turned out for him. Read the life of Joseph and ask Joseph how it all turned out for him. Read the life even of Jesus and ask him how it all turns out for those who trust in God. All things from the smallest of details to the largest of details. God is sovereign ruler and sustainer of all things. Verse 11. He calls a bird calling a bird of prey to the east. The man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do so. From the smallest of details, like a bird sent to the east, to a man of God, a man of God's purpose sent to a far-off country. From the smallest to the largest, God is sovereign and in control of every single one of those happenings. From the might of dust that is floating in this room to the man of God who is now preaching in your ears today. God is sovereign over all of these things. Last week, we considered that God is sovereign over nature. From the first light to instructing the wind and the waves, God is sovereign over his creation. And I don't believe that many of us struggle with that first point, but that we accept it readily, that God is sovereign over all things, especially nature. But it's the second point that we will deal with tonight that I think that many people struggle with, and the third. And here is our second point. God is sovereign over nations. And what does that include? People, pursuits, and happenings. People, pursuits, and happenings. Brothers and sisters, if God is sovereign over all of creation, why would anyone think that humans, that their purposes and the happenings within 
human history are not included in God's sovereign rule. I'll say that again. If we readily accept that God is sovereign over nature, then what makes us think that human beings, the purposes of their lives and the happenings in between are not also falling into the sovereignty of God? Some may argue that God is sovereign, but he has given his people free will to do as they please. Brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves at this point, what do we mean by free will? What do we mean by free will? Do we mean that man is autonomous? Meaning, do we believe that we are self-governing, that we govern ourselves without anyone over us governing us? Do we believe that we are independently acting apart from God's sovereign will? And if that is the case, then I'd like to ask you a question. What happens when your will runs into God's will? Whose will wins? And if you say, my will wins, then you are God and he is not. Whose will prevails when the two wills collide? Again, if you believe that it is your will that wins, then you have not read God's word. Let's take a few considerations. Consider Pharaoh. Pharaoh considered himself to be a God. But when confronted with Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, he soon learned that his will must submit to the will of God and will always submit to the will of God. The Lord God said Moses to Pharaoh. And before he had arrived, he had received this word from the Lord in Exodus chapter 3, 19. The word of the Lord came to Moses. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out who will he will. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. Brothers and sisters, before Moses stepped one foot back into Egypt, the Lord God showed his servant what he would do with Pharaoh. The plans that he had for Pharaoh and the plans that Pharaoh would submit to. How did God know? How did God know what would take place? Because this story has already been written. And Pharaoh would be used in the hands of God, not as the star, not even as the co-star, but as a prop in the history and the story of redemption of God. He would be a prop used in the hands of God. He said to Moses in Exodus chapter 7, verse 2, You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of this land. But I will, God says, harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know what? That I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring the sons of Israel from their midst. Brothers and sisters. Who does it sound like is in control? It sounds like God is absolutely in control. Absolutely in control. Does it sound like Pharaoh is going to have a say in any of these ways? No, it does not. God was 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 using Pharaoh for his glory. God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Was God making Pharaoh sin? No. 
Rather, God was allowing Pharaoh to act in ways that were at the core of his being. God was allowing Pharaoh to be who he was at the core of who he was, a sinful man who hated other men in God's image. And God was allowing or hardening Pharaoh's heart. What he was doing was letting Pharaoh be as sinful as Pharaoh could be at that moment. That is the hardening that God does on the heart of Pharaoh. And then what does God do? And then God puts restraints back on Pharaoh. The hardening is a letting go, not a making sin, but a letting go. The restraining is a God putting his hand back on Pharaoh to restrain his sinful ways. God held the leash. God held the leash and Pharaoh was the dog. And he held the leash all the way to the Red Sea. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 14 verse 4, I will harden, harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh. Be honored through who? Through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know what? That I am the Lord. And what happened? And they did so. Pharaoh was being used by the sovereign hand of God for what? To display the glory of God before the nation of Israel, before the nation of Egypt, and now before all nations that he is God and there is no other, as the book of Isaiah says. And what of Pharaoh? Paul, looking back, comments on Pharaoh, says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for Pharaoh, of Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up. Why? Why did God raise up Pharaoh to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth? God raised up this man, allowed this man to be as sinful as he could be or not as simple as he could be, but as simple as God allowed him to be. And at the right time, at the peak of his power, the Lord God Almighty brings this man crashing down with the waters and waves to show that God is God and there is no other. God alone is sovereign. God is sovereign and his plan will be accomplished for his glory. Pharaoh is just one example of this great truth. What is that great truth? That God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. We're looking at Pharaoh and saying that's just one example. That's one example to, to, to explode, to shout out the greater truth that God is sovereign. Consider Nebuchadnezzar. You may have never heard of the name Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king in Babylon, the great nation that had conquered kingdom after kingdom. And God allowed the nation of Babylon to take Israel into captivity because of Israel's idolatry. And one night, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Not even his magicians could interpret that dream for Nebuchadnezzar. So finally, Daniel is summoned and he is asked to interpret the dream for the king. This is in Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. The king came to Daniel. Daniel, tell me the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel, Daniel did not want to tell the king what the dream meant. Daniel was in shock. He was taken aback and hoped that this dream of Nebuchadnezzar was for Nebuchadnezzar's enemies and not for Nebuchadnezzar. Nevertheless, Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of this dream. And it's not about Nebuchadnezzar's enemies. It is about Nebuchadnezzar himself. This judgment that you have dreamed of, Nebuchadnezzar, is about you. 
Daniel chapter 4, verse 24, this is a, is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you may be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be of the beast of the field. What is the dream? The dream is this, that Nebuchadnezzar, you are a great king, but you will be driven away, and that you will live among the beast of the field. And you will what? You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven period of time will pass over you. Until you recognize that the most high is ruler or sovereign. Over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. What is the, what is the judgment? Nebuchadnezzar, you are a great king. But your greatness has gone to your head. You somehow think that all of this is because of your doing. You have you have failed to acknowledge that God is most high and he is sovereign ruler over all and that he has put into your hands what you have. You have not acquired this on your own. And Daniel urges the king, repent, repent before it's too late. God has set his sights on you in order to make you recognize that he is sovereign, that you are not. But what happened? There was no repentance. Twelve months passed and there was no repentance God had given Nebuchadnezzar a warning. You will be like a beast of the field if you do not repent. And does he repent? No, he does not. Question, why does he not repent? Because God did not allow him to repent. Because God did not enable repentance to take place in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar did not repent because God did not allow him to repent. And one day... The king was walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon. And what does he say? He says, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal re residence by, my, by what? The might of my power. And what does he say? And for the glory of my majesty. This man who had just been warned 12 months earlier, acknowledged God, is on the roof strutting. Like he is God. While the word, the Bible says, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice from where? A voice from heaven. A voice from heaven saying, came saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be the beast of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whomever he wishes the same judgment immediately. Immediately, the Bible says he lost his mind. That decree came to pass. This man became as an animal for seven years. Eating grass, drenched in the dew of the grass, long hair, long nails, maybe longer than this. Why? So that God could make an example out of this man who thought that all that he had in the great nation of Babylon was somehow due to his sovereignty, his might and his power because of his own control. And God humbles this man to the grass. God brings this man to his knees, showing him that there is only one Lord most high. There is only one God who is sovereign over all things. And after seven years, God gives grace. 
after seven years, just as he said. And he allows this animal to be to once again become a man, to come back to his senses. And in the book of Daniel, I think chapter four or so. Nebuchadnezzar does come back to his senses. And what does he do? He acknowledges that there is no God but God most high. He acknowledges that there is only one sovereign ruler and it is not him. God is sovereign over all things. Brothers and sisters, this is, again, one other example to highlight this great truth that there is one sovereign ruler and he is God almighty, not you and not me. And thirdly, consider the Apostle Paul. This man known as Saul, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is found in the law, blameless, a true Israelite, if there had ever, ever been one, a true man of Israel, if there had ever been one. And one day, this man, this persecutor of the church on his way to Damascus to drag away Christians who are following the way is met by the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As he was traveling, Acts 9, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. It was God, God who interrupted the path that Saul was on. Saul had a plan. Saul had a direction, his own purpose. But God had a plan. God had a purpose. God had a direction for this man, Saul, who would later become Paul. And instead of going to persecute Christians, Saul, you will become one. The last thing that was on the Apostle Paul's mind or Saul at that time was becoming a Christian. He was heading to Damascus to persecute and drag away Christians, not become one. The Bible says when God spoke to Ananias, oh, Paul, he is my my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul had a plan, and God laughed. Do we think that our plans will cancel out the plans of God? Some of us are sitting here this this evening, and we are grown adults, and where we are now is not where we thought we would be when we were children. What we are doing now is not what we thought we would do when we were children. For some of us, if someone was to tell you at the stage of life that you're in now that you would be sitting in a church service on a Wednesday night hearing about the sovereignty of God, you would have laughed in their face because that was not your plan. But little did you know, did you know that God had a plan for your life and that his will would be done in your life as it is being done so now? God is sovereign over people, over purposes, and over the happenings within. And our last point, God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. 
brothers and sisters, when the Apostle Paul was saved, did he go to Jesus or did Jesus come to him? Jesus came to him. And so it is with every single man who was brought from death to life. Brothers and sisters, you did not search for God. God was not lost. You were. You did not make your way toward him. He made his way toward you. He came from heaven to earth to set captives free. He came to seek and to save the lost. When Saul was on his way to Damascus, the last thing again that was on the mind of the Apostle Paul or Saul was to be a converted Christian, becoming a missionary to the nations. The Lord Jesus Christ interrupted his life, came to that lost man and set him on a narrow road and showed him how much he would suffer for God's name's sake. Jesus made it ever so clear in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you all throughout the scriptures. There is a consistent choosing or electing from God, from God choosing Abel and not Cain, from God choosing Noah and his family out of all of the families on the earth to Jacob being chosen over Saul. This is consistent all throughout the scriptures. Don't let someone say, show me one verse. Bring to them the entire Bible and say, call me when you're done reading those 66 books because you'll see it in every single page. That's the Old Testament going to the New Testament from the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly choosing every single one of his disciples, calling them my name, calling them to follow him. If anyone has a problem with the doctrine of election or salvation in the sovereign hands of God, they have a problem with God. Not just in Romans 9. Romans 9 is not our trump card, brothers and sisters. The Bible is our trump card. Romans 9 is one great place, but the Bible is the entire trump card to show that God is sovereign over, over salvation. From the foundation of the world, God has sought his own with the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. Man can in no way save himself. And as we will learn next week, on the Lord's day, man is unwilling and unable to save himself because of his own sinfulness. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? And what is the answer to that? No. Verse 13, then you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil in the same way that you cannot change yourself. In the same way that the Ethiopian and the leopard cannot change themselves is the same way that you cannot save yourselves. That it must be by the sovereign hand of God who changes hearts. It is God and God alone who changes the hearts of men. The Lord Jesus Christ called Nicodemus to be born again on that that fateful night. And Nicodemus asked the most pressing and important question. How can I go back to my infancy? Should I try again? Should I try to go back into my mother's womb? And the answer is obviously no. Even if you went back into your mother's womb, you would still be born in sin. 
It's impossible for men to be born again on their own. That which is flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused. How can it be? How can this be? And Jesus says to him, the wind, it blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the spirit. God is in control of that. Man cannot cause the wind to go from the left to the right. But God can. God is the one who is sovereign over that act of changing the heart of man from stone to flesh. God does this. God does this. Man does not do this. Don't encourage your unsaved people to get themselves together. It's impossible. Encourage them to repent, to turn to Christ, for that is their only way. And that is your responsibility, believer. You call them to repentance. God changes the heart if it is his will. How many of those do you know that you have called to repentance and they have still not repented? It's not because you don't know the gospel well. It's because God is sovereign over salvation. You don't need me or the other elders to come and say it right. You're saying it right. Repent. Turn to Christ. You will experience the wrath of God if you don't. It is God's will. Whether or not they will or will not be saved. But it is your responsibility that God has commissioned to you to share that gospel. And all who have ears to hear will hear what the Spirit of God says. Because God is sovereign over all things. Let us pray.